We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Rotogrinders? Welcome back to the Morning Grind. Once again, Dean filled in for Stevie TPFL. He's still on those uh, NASCAR streets. If you guys want his NASCAR content, you know where to find it. Uh, lots of, uh, not yeah, a lot of DFS. You can find it under Stevie or many other people. <laughs> there it is. Oh, Shots sorry. fired. <laughs> sorry, I, I just heard that was a thing. <laughs> oh, boy. We're stirring the pot right away. If you recognize that voice, you may recognize that voice from Roto-Runners and other places as well, too. Uh, you may know that voice in such places as, uh, with a little Simpsons reference for you, Eddie, uh, that's Fast Eddie Fear. Uh, we're, of course, doing our uh, DFS profile, DFS origin story. Uh, continuation of we've had a uh, head chopper and Andy means and beer makers fan and beefer uh, rusty rusty nuts which is a real sentence that's a real person yeah uh, <laughs> that was a real good one I, I'm I not sure if he's a real one. person he might be half person half frost giant or something if you've <laughs> met rusty but he's, he's a dude rusty is guy uh, is got to be like what six six three fifty something he was talking about in the I podcast think and... you're a little shy on both. Okay, I mean, well, I think I'd go six seven, and uh, I, I imagine his weight fluctuates a little bit, but yeah, he's 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 a mountain of a dude. He's on the, there's like four dudes in this industry that I don't think I'd have any shot against in a fight, and that's one of them. Where I'm just like, nope. Who, who are the other three? Is Stevie one of them? Steve, he's a big boy. I, is Stevie a well, uh, what is big? I didn't, Stevie's a big boy. No, there's there's Mad Lab or whatever. There's the M- the MMA guy over a guru. Oh yeah, who, who looks like he you know shreds me, puts me in a blender with some protein powder for breakfast every morning. I don't really want. I mean, I'm a pretty big guy, and I've scrapped once or twice. I'm 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 six four and a half, like two twenty, two thirty. So I can I can I, I can handle based purely on size. I'm also an old ass man. So there's you know any of these kids, I'm not even gonna be you able got to savviness though. Old old man savvy. Yeah, no, that's a, that's what we're going with there. I got I got panache. I got savvy. That's good. Are you willing to like uh, you know rake the eyes? You know, uh, are you, like, poke the eye. Can you break the rules? Or are it depends. Uh... It depends on the context. If you're saying just like in a straight up, if so, we're talking about like a street fight. Like two guys get into a scrap for even and reasonable reasons. Someone says something about someone's girl. Someone else says something, sure. and there there's no extenuating circumstances. No, I will not fight dirty. I will not go to the nuts or something. Now, if I'm protecting my date like a hero outside the movie theater and a group of thugs, using a very topical word, come out and attack her with lead pipes 
<laughs> then yeah, I'm I'm going straight to the newts on those guys. So it's 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 all whatever. But I'm I'm looking. I've been this close to accepting one of these DFS charity fight things, and unlike everyone else, oh, you want to call I, somebody out here? I was I was very close to calling someone out. I know some of my friends know who it is, but there was one person who who said something that was completely completely uh, out of bounds, and uh, there are people get a little bit too toxic. And I I was this close to throwing down the okay, that's it. I'm challenging you to a fight or you're going to apologize. One of three things is going to happen. One, you're going to apologize to that guy because that was an insult too far. Two, you're going to run away from a man in his mid-40s with all your loud talking and try to justify that, and I will catcall you all the way out of town as you run with your tail between your legs. Or three, you're going to fight this old man, and we're going to see how that goes because I enjoy a good fight. Um, but I what did, did you have I, a career I, record that I can look at? What's, what's the back of your DK card look like? What's your price? <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's um, uh, you can you can look me up online and then find some arrest records and stuff. But I don't have any uh, sanctioned bouts uh, in the octagon, not yet. Anyway, maybe you know late in life I'll go that Herschel Walker way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too. Herschel Walker started in like his mid forties, and he's yeah. like, still I think he's fifty and still going, and he's absolutely yeah. Some, uh, the Holyfield and Tyson are prepping for their rematch at fifty four and fifty seven or whatever. I've not seen Holyfield, but I saw Tyson without his shirt on the other day in his fifties, yeah. and I feel great shame. I don't know about you. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I'm getting closer to to being in the in the best shape of my life here. I've been I've been going out. Oh. I've, been, I've been I've been you know hitting the gym uh, a little bit. So you have a home gym, or how are you making that work? I, I have I have the most rudimentary of home gyms. So I have around my computer, and this is seriously. I've wanted to do like a fitness special for a while because all my friends. And I say this with all the love in the world for you, Dean, and to a certain extent, it's unfortunate that you and I are having this conversation, are not necessarily in the best physical fitness. And I would like these people to live to 80 and not 64. So I'm a huge interest of, of getting people to talk about. So I have like just, you know, weights around my computer. And so I'm frequently in meetings and you pick whatever. And I got a little database here of, you know, the 10 different little ridiculous exercises I do during the day. And so I'm keeping track of that. And then I have an under desk bike, which is this beast here, which is this thing, which is a couple of pedals and it slides under your desk. And so if I'm sitting here talking to you, I can be biking away the whole time. So yeah, because I have, you know, three jobs and I'm working a hundred hours a week, I have to multitask, but I, uh, I exercise a couple hours a day. I thought you were busting out the shake weight there for a second. I was waiting, I was oh waiting for you to shake God. that dumbbell, but it was not. It was just a standard. No, this yeah. is this is this is a standard grip. This is the tease. This isn't the full. Uh, <laughs> this is just twenty five, twenty. This is just twenty pound dumbbell. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if people know that are listening. Of course, this is an audio podcast, but uh, Eddie is gracing us, gracing us with, with his uh, presence. You guys can watch this on YouTube as well, both of us, so you can see our video as well. So. You can see him showing up. I still up have my old Roto Grinders backdrops, and I I dug that. I thought we could have done a little more with the personality, but one of the nice things of I, I worked for Roto Grinders five years ago for a while, and they gave me my start, and for that I'm uh, incredibly grateful. Um, and uh, they they give you once you make the big leagues, you know that they value you and they want to keep you around for a while. When they send you that badass like canvas backdrop, it, it floats behind you, and I still have. <laughs> I still have mine uh, over there. So you've got – is that Miami? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the Marlins ballpark. There you go. There you go. There I'm no go. longer there, but I'm, I'm currently in Nashville right now. Well, uh, I did you ever get a lighting kit? That's when you know they really like I, it. I did. I, I, I get this the, um, the grinder's umbrella that they got me is, is right over here. And there's, <laughs> I've got 
couple they, they they set me up full and then I, I immediately left and used those instruments to make my shows look better on other places oh. <laughs> e2 birthday man come on <laughs> i know i know eddie that was that that was not appreciated I, 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 I enjoyed working with you and uh, i'm glad to have this conversation at least uh we we see each other actually we should say we see each other once a week now because we're playing trivia together we are playing Tuesday trivia nights. together, and you are uh an absolute trivia ringer you are amazing at trivia uh, and to be clear, like we're playing trivia with like people that are in their late forties, fifties, sixties, older people. And, and also they ask like cultured questions and that is not my wheelhouse. <laughs> I'm not in on the cultured questions or about literature. Nate's great. Yeah. Literature comes up and he's just slumped back. We do it all. We're in a 12 people. And so we're in the, the Brady bunch zoom theme. And, you know, Dean's basically chilling and talking on his phone. Or whatever. <laughs> and once in a while a question comes up, like this rap song, and Dean's like, hold up. <laughs> Well, rap song. Well, I got a shot here. I got a shot, one, but I got I got an answer here. I'm going to be able to guess someone at least that is a rap artist. I can name a rap artist because the question before that is like this 18th century French impressionist painter, and he's like, eh. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm just going to make a joke here, and you guys handle this one. Dean's <laughs> <laughs> there for moral support. We usually play in teams, and Dean's in the chat. Like, is it is it Snoop Dogg? No, <laughs> I don't think that's Snoop Dogg. You're, you're Jordan, uh, maybe Ducky's Pippin, and I'm like John Paxson or Bill Winnington. How about that? Hey, you're, a, you're a key part of the team. John Paxson brought that <laughs> team of titles. We've, we have established. So there's a couple things that just came up kind of organically. Um, you've been on game shows before. I, this is not just like you're good in trivia. You were on uh, Team Jeopardy. Is that correct? You were close to correct. Oh, what were you on? You're on Team something? College. College Jeopardy. Yeah. You're on College Jeopardy. There's, there's still a quest to, to find the footage. I've been on t- two game shows, and the challenge went out some five years ago. Because, again, I'm an old-ass man. So this is before the existence of, like, they weren't in black and white, but this is this is old footage. There's there's College Jeopardy, and there's additionally Win Ben Stein's Money. Now, people have discovered the Win Ben Stein's Money footage <laughs> that has made an appearance of a youthful, hirsute, fast Eddie Fear uh on the show how does one make it on college jeopardy uh they send things and they have tryouts in various areas i don't believe the process is the same now as it was then um now they do more of targeting large whatevers then it was they host one that hosts a region so at the time i was going to well this is gonna be a bit tough i went to about five different colleges in the northeast I think Carnegie Mellon at that point, and they held a tryout in New York City, and I was raised in the area, so I returned home, and while I was there, I went to the thing with my college ID and managed to scrape in that way. When Ben Stein's Money was the more fun one uh, to qualify for uh, because uh, Ben is hilarious, and he just hangs out all day. Like He is actually largely the personality who he portrays. Very straight man very yeah. nervous like i sat there and talked to him for like an hour which was great he's a he's a weird dude by the way if you've seen what he's doing recently he's into um conspiracy theory and like he's he's traveled a bit big these days off the but i got him to autograph some magic cards that was a cool geek moment for me so I, but um it yeah, was kimmel that, there or kimmel wasn't there at the time no was no i was past kimmel i was i was too past kimmel if i recall i was towards the end of the show's run so this is going to be 2000 I filmed and aired in 2001, I think, would be the correct year. So the ooh, uh, top of my heading this, I believe over the five or six seasons of the show, they had three 
guest hosts, the people who did the question, questioning when Ben became a contestant. The first was Jimmy Kimmel. The second was Cousin Sal, Sal Iacono or whatever it is. And the third was, I think Nancy Pimento was her name, was a woman. And I was there when Nancy was the co-host. So how'd, there, you, how'd you do? Uh, I beat the other two contestants and tied with Ben in the best of 10 test of knowledge. I should have, I should have beaten it, but I froze so, th- so this is the story. I you remember the question? You probably remember a question, don't you? I remember all the questions. I, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's a traumatic moment because I should have had this shit. Um, so uh, the format of the show, for those of you who don't know, is you start with three contestants and Ben Stein is the host. And there's a co-host who just a shtick for the first round. Then after the first round, the first the contestant with the lowest score gets the boot and Ben comes into the show. And then the co-host asks questions, which no one knows the answer to, to the two remaining contestants and Ben. Then the lower contestant gets the boot and the last two go off in what's called the best of 10 test of knowledge. Um, and you get the maximum, to give you an idea of the state of TV shows back in the day, the most money you could make was $5,000. Yeah. And you did not get brought back ever. So it was just a good luck getting five grand. And when I explain to you the process of getting on the show, you'll realize this was not really a money-making opportunity <laughs> because you had to pay for your own two sh- trips out to California and back. So this was not, this was not a, anyway, but um, uh, so long story short, um, so they filmed three episodes in a day. And what they do is they try to bring in, I think, 11 people, two alternates and nine designated contestants. And if anyone doesn't show an alternate gets on there and if you alternate on day X of shooting, let's say it's a Tuesday, you automatically get on the show on day X plus one of shooting, let's say it's Wednesday. So if you show up and you're an alternate for Tuesday, but everyone else shows up, you get to be on Wednesday. So that way no one shows up and is an alternate and gets crap and has to go home. So the process was at the end of each show for the first couple of years of the show, there's a thing that said, if you think you can beat me, send an email to futility at futility.com saying, which was indicating that that beating uh, Ben would be futile. So I did that and I got, okay, you're invited. We're having tryouts on this day. Come to um, tryouts. So I'm like, okay. And it was three weeks from then in California. So I'm like, okay, I'm now currently living in upstate New York. So I book a plane ticket because why not? I was young. It was before I had a family. I had money to burn on bullshit. So buy a plane ticket, go out there, um, lose tons of money in the casino the night before. So the trip, <laughs> even if I win the grand prize, is already locked in as a money loser. No chance of, of actual uh, victory, but we're playing for, for glory. Life experience. And, yeah, life experience. So you go in there and, and they sit everyone down in basically an airplane hangar. There's about 300 of us and they give you a test. And it is a test of 50 common knowledge questions. And I remember many of them. It was a hard test. Um, and I wasn't sure I was going to pass. So we, we, uh, we all took the test and the score to pass was 40. You had to get 40 of the 50 questions, right? And all I know is that I met or exceeded that mark and that there were 17 of us. So out of 300, 283 odd people are just like, okay, you get the hell out of here. The other 17 of us sit down and they start going through and then they host mock game shows where they say, okay, behave like you would on the show. And I think this is the... <laughs> pick your nose, issue overtly racist statements, checker. Personality showcase. Yeah, and and they said to you, the one thing they gave us as far as a direction was, we have been on the show, so we have the straight man cast. (laughs) So try and be entertaining. And so I go into this ridiculous game showy voice, and I'm I'm doing whatever the hell. So 
long story short, I do that. They go, yeah, we like you. We'll call you at some point and, and you can come out and film the show. I think it's nine months later and I get a, hey, we have a problem. Can you come out in eight days? Now I, again, living my glorious pre-family life of owning a retail game store and doing game design consulting had no real responsibilities and plenty of money to spare. So sure, I'll get on a plane and I'll come out and do the thing. So you come out, you do the thing. They get 10, 11 people in the room, three groups of three and an alternate, and they film three shows back to back to back on the same day. And they take a couple hours with breaks and stuff. And all the, all the contestants are sitting around and we don't know which show we're going to be on. And now this leads to, I discussed, uh, I think it was during the pre-show, how I was born a straight white American man. I won all of those coin flips. If you're a human being born anywhere with any disposition on this earth, I did extremely well in that lottery. That happened again in the many ways in which I've been fortunate in my life in the people I was paired up against during my show. So we're sitting there waiting for the first show to start and they're practicing and people are discussing trivia. And I clearly am not one of the most clever people in this room. Setting aside any rudimentary judgment of basic intelligence, it's worth pointing out I'm like 23. And if you're in a big time trivia competition, that is a massive, massive hindrance. Just living through shit. Like whenever they're like, hey, the Venezuelan oil crisis, most of the contestants go, I remember that. And I go, I was too. So it's like, it's, there's just a huge advantage to being 40 something and not 20 something in a contest. And this immediately becomes clear as I'm the only person in the room under the age of 35 at the very best. And everyone else is incredibly learned and accomplished. There was a vice president at IBN. There was a doctorate professor at USC. There was, and as we're practicing, these people are talking and I'm, I go from being confident because I, in my limited view of the universe, have been the smartest dude at whatever shitty gaming table I've been sitting at for the last <laughs> 10 years to all of a sudden like, oh shit, real people. It was very high school baller sneaks his way into an NBA practice moment. You were big fish in a small pond. Yeah, and this was a, a fairly big pond and some absolutely massive fish. And they're just talking about like, I remember one of the conversations was they asked what port town, this, that, and the other and I remember thinking Salem, and someone went Salem, and they went, yeah, specifically Salem on the East Coast, because Salem on the West Coast had different etymology. Salem on the East Coast was a derivation of Shalom, as you know, the Hebrew <laughs> word for it. And like, that of shit course. kept happening, and I'm like, oh no. This is gonna go really badly, where I would either not know the answer, and they all knew it, or I would know the answer, and they would expand upon my answer for 17 minutes. This is going to go badly. So they pulled so, up. Side note, this is how I feel during trivia. I feel like you felt in this room. Yeah, exactly. Like... It's, it's, I'm happy to be able to share this experience with you because <laughs> I've become older and, and we could do a fascinating show on the nature of intelligence where people really get memory and intelligence confused. There are people who cannot remember shit. They have CRS. They can't remember shit. Who are incredibly, perfect. incredibly smart and even other things that come across um as intelligence are, are really the application of memory like i can do fairly complicated math problems in my head that most people can't do and i would stipulate to you that has nothing to do with intelligence it's literally zero intelligence it's memory if you tell me to do um 95 squared i can in my head go 
Okay, five times five is 25, I'm carrying a two. Five times nine is 45, add the two, that's 47. 4,025, blah, 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 the total answer is 9,025. And then there's other tricks of other ways I can remember to do that. None of that is intelligence, that's just memory. I don't think that you, Dean, can't do five times five in your head. I don't think that you can't do five times nine. I don't think that you can do 45 plus two. It's just remembering these seven yeah. iterative short-term steps. People are like, God, you're smart. It's like, am I? Like, I'd like to think I'm smart, but I think that's zero evidence to that point. But anyway, we get in there. They're pairing up the shows as this is, I wanted to have a, a, a nice conversation about sociology in America and protesting. <laughs> Instead, I'm going on an incredibly egocentric 20-minute rant about a- I asked, man. I'm curious. From, from two decades ago. But you asked. I, look, I said- I wanted to lay down a stinker here. You're like, this is Stevie's podcast, not mine. I'm doing a favor. I'm like, oh, let's just bomb on him. Let's leave him the upper decker. I want him to come back from suck starting a NASCAR or whatever he's doing with his time and be like, what do you mean they had a conversation about? What? Interracial what? I don't know. Is that even legal to put on the airwaves? I don't, like, I really wanted to. Instead, this is supposed to be an escape, Eddie. Instead, we have saccharine conversations about anyhow the short version of a story that's gone on 10 times too long they pair you up into groups of three and the first group of three is three incredibly talented individuals then they pair the second show and i'm not on the second show that's three incredibly talented individuals then they pair the third show and it's me and two people who i don't know how they passed the test they must have passed the test apparently but um uh the questions are incredibly hard i remember one of the questions from the opening round was about the sequel to gone with the wind none of us got it there were a number of questions in the first and second round that were incredibly lame uh where none of us including eventually none of us with ben in the second round got it so i made the finals with i believe fourteen hundred dollars is the high score uh which is a, a pretty low mark for that show at that time and then we got into the best of 10 test of knowledge and I flummoxed a question that I could get right every day, out of, and I tied instead of one because I completely, completely, completely screwed the easiest question ever. Now, I want to put this in context for you. It's the best of 10 tests of knowledge. They put you in a soundproof chamber, which is a soundproof chamber the size of a phone booth. And they put on some headsets. Like this show. You sit, exactly. And you sit there and you wait. And eventually the thing pops on and goes, okay, are you ready? And there's a camera on you, and you're trying not to sweat in the lights, and you're trying to stay so beautiful but um and the camera's on you and i'm a math guy more than anything else so they come at me and they go i bet you could do this math you have one minute there will be 10 questions so how long do i have per question you uh six seconds boom look at you genius see just as smart as me so the so i'm i'm immediately flustered by the amount of time i have and that includes the time it takes to read the question you didn't know this going in? Like, you don't, you never watched I, the show? I, I did know this, but I'm acutely aware of it at this point, is what yeah. I'm saying. Gotcha. So, I, I missed the first question, which I know the answer to. And I'm going to hold on. I'm going to get my phone on here. I'm going to put you on the clock. Now, oh, no. you only get one answer, Dean. You only get one answer. I hope it's not a sports or a basketball question you tanked. It is. Oh, my God. I would never live it down. Although, yeah. this, again, 24 years ago, I was a casual basketball fan. Now I am a, a font of all things round ball. But here we go, Dean. You have six seconds. From the time I start reading oh, the man, question, was... now you don't actually have six seconds. Of the many ways I screwed up this situation, and there are many, one was, it's okay to take eight seconds if you get the answer correct on something you obviously know. But I'm going to hit start, start reading, you get one answer, take your time, 
We'll see how long it will take you to get the correct answer. I didn't know there was going to be math, but go ahead. There's no math for you. There's just <laughs> when you know. Take your time and consider this. When you know the correct answer, speak. Ready? Okay, sure. here we go. Over the door of what Washington, D.C. building does the motto hang, equal justice for all? Supreme Court House. Very nice. 10.4 seconds. So that is the question I am asked. And my mind goes through every possible answer but the wrong one for no reason. It's an obvious question. You don't even have to know it. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't believe at the time, know that that was written over the door. But obviously it refers to justice. And that, that is the correct answer. Bravo. Okay. I did not. What did I win? The home version of this game? Well, the thing is, you took 10 and a half seconds. So you're only <laughs> going to get through six questions. Read faster. I, I don't think I read that particularly laboriously slowly is the thing. I made sure to read it at a reasonable cadence. So anyhow, he runs that out of me and my brain is counting. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Jesus, motherfucker, read faster. Four Mississippi, five Mississippi. Okay, it's, it's, it's a law on Supreme Court building. I know it's not the White House. There's nothing over the door on executive legislative. The Capitol, Capitol makes sense. I'll say the Capitol. That's exactly what happened. I yelled at the Capitol at about eight and a half or nine seconds, which obviously turns out to be incorrect. And if I hadn't been having this interior mental paroxysm of stress and and what have you, uh, would have gotten that one correct. So I ended up tying instead of winning. My favorite question of that um, of that best of ten test of knowledge: How many cards are in a full house? That was close. How many cards? Five cards. There you go. Boom. Two for two, Dean. I only got four. See? I can bring on Ben Stein. I can take him down. I, I, no think I, I, I presume he is still alive. I, I cannot confirm that as a, like, I think you I was. You said he was doing conspiracy stuff, didn't you? Well, let me rephrase. As I had most recently seen Ben Stein content as of four or five years ago, it was a lot, you know, fluoride in the water and, and, and Tom Hanks is an alien or whatever the hell. So I don't, uh, Oh, yeah, he's still, he's still alive. 75. There you go. A young 75. Obviously famous from, he's, for those of you who are not Bueller. conversant in Ben Stein, most famous, again, for the television show, but also Ferris Bueller's. And in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, he plays the teacher who says, Bueller, Bueller. And I assume, are you aware of his previous work before that, Dean, what he did for a living? Uh, I'm going to say he was an accountant. No. Maybe a teacher. He was a uh, uh, political consultant he was a speech oh that's right yeah. Richard Nixon I think he was a mm-hmm. like he was he was a, a Republican leaning libertarian um political figure for any number of years previous to somehow getting in that film I, I, I don't know we'd have to look that one off but uh I think he worked for Nixon and, and maybe Ford but um yeah I just but, want to go yeah. back for a second uh Jeffrey two two questions did you win uh, and secondly, or I guess you go on to the next round if you're in the tournament at uh, college, however that works. Uh, what was your anecdote? What was like your 30-second anecdote with Alex Trebek? Do you remember? Like, you know, he, he walks out, does a contestant line to, you know, give you 30 seconds is, or this so. This is 26 years ago. <laughs> and uh, just after trumpeting my memory, I, I believe at, at the time I was at Clarkson University, Clarkson University being uh, six feet uh, shy of Canada, basically. It is way in the upstate of New York. And um, I, I believe it was regarding the weather. We had recently had a significant weather scare uh, to the extent of we had several feet of snow 
and counting the wind chill, it got down to like negative 75. So we actually had the National Guard come out and bring us food this early 90s um, because you couldn't make it building to building. I remember I had this exciting Dungeons and Dragons arena thing planned. And I had- You're outing yourself a, by saying that I, I have no, I, listen, I think everybody should love who they are. And my, <laughs> my, I have a freak flag. Shout out to my wife, but I have a geek flag too, and I fly that bad boy whenever <laughs> necessary. So I have this this bitch and three D map that I've come up with, and my case full of miniatures and these things to represent moving walls. And I have the arena of chaos ready to go. We were going to meet in the student union that day at like noon, and at like eleven o'clock, I set out from my dorm to get there in three feet of snow, and it's all of a hundred yards. And I stumbled back into my dorm at like eleven twenty, nearly dead. <laughs> like 50 mile an hour winds and drifts and i very nearly killed myself in the name of the game but uh yeah no so so that uh, i seem to recall it being an allegory and uh no i did not i did not win i did not progress uh in that case did final jeopardy get you or no i just... don't recall <laughs> I, I honestly don't recall i need to i gotta be honest the two reasons i wanted to find the footage of these two things one was to catch up on the details and the second was to you know catch up on the details because i don't remember all of it i i will have to be honest and say that i might not have been entirely sober during the um yeah you know that whole dwight gooden pitched some no hitters high on cocaine yeah, well, David Wells, uh, he uh, had a hangover. He threw a, a yeah, exactly. It's the same thing with yeah. me, except I got nowhere near pitching the no hitter in that occasion. I was, um, uh, I am many years uh, clean and sober. Congratulations uh, on that! Work. How many years? Um, well, this this is a tricky one for me. I I basically turned my life around when my daughter was born and dealt with um, recurring substance issues and mental health issues. I had been through. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this because I hate talking about it because it makes me look pathetic and weak and all my natural masculine brio says it's not something you're supposed to talk about, but I know that shit. And I always hope that if a hundred people listen to this or I don't know, maybe when Stevie does it, probably 500 people listen to it, but because it's you and me, maybe a hundred people will listen to this, (laughs) but maybe one person is struggling with something and this gives them some hope. So I will start by saying my life was absolute uh, garbage for most of my life. I had um, uh, any number of diagnosed mental conditions. I was uh, abusing substances between the age of when they first started putting pills on me to try to fix me would probably be 10 until I was about 28. I took off the top of my head Paxil, Prozac, Stelazine, Thorazine, Depakote, Remeron, I'm skipping a couple here too, again, attributing to my previously alluded to amazing memory, but a couple more things in that, where I was constantly medicated, uh, at times suicidally depressed, and had been uh, uh, bakerized, placed in containment wow. for my own well-being more than once. So my life was very, very dark, and I was um, very, very, um, I mean, I, I did not see a future. Uh, and then uh, my uh, my daughter came to be born, and uh, my daughter was autistic, and that was extremely difficult. But basically, since she was born, and certainly since she um, recovered fully from the things that um, you know plagued her 
as a young person. My life is great. I uh, exactly one day in the last oh, 14 years have taken any sort of pill to modify my behavior. I very rarely get angry. I very rarely yell. Um, I love everybody. I love my life. I like myself, which is new for me, especially for someone who's, who's a, a child of abuse. That, that, takes, um, that takes some period of time to get to. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what your original question was. How did I get here? Where did you originally point? To I don't remember either, but I just wanted to say, like you said, this is going to come off as weak. And what you're saying to me is strength, the, the ability to go out there and say that and own it and, you know, become a better person because of it. So, well, it's, it's weird, yeah. but I, like, I really hope there's someone who's like, I have uh, a friend who I don't think will listen to this because he's not into the sports community. Uh, he's not a part of the hundred. He's, 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 he's not a, no, he's not, he's not a member of the, the chosen few, the DFS community, but um, you know, he's struggling right now and he's called me suicidal and I've made out a will and my, and it's, it's terrifying. And what I tell him again and again is my life is brilliant and I have been there and I am not saying that what you are dealing with is not real. What I dealt with was real. And I am not saying anything other than the fact that I can guarantee you, I have gone from sleeping on a sewer grate, in the worst condition you can imagine a human being being at to I have uh, I am I am well paid I have a number of career options all of which are um, interesting again I, I, I worked for for awesome at night the last couple of years I basically had one day job and one night job um, both uh, for six or seven years now and I like I finished up my contract from awesome and wanted to look at other options and I, I got six job offers six different people hunted me down and said hey we would like you to work with us that feels um, outstanding. And the community of DFS people, um, you know, you're going to use this platform, right. To announce your next destination. I assume that's what you're doing. That's why you're here. Uh, I can't, I, I can't do that. Make some news here. I'm you want to make some news? (laughs) I'm going to, here we go. I'm going to make some news for you, Dean. I'm going to leave a dump for Stevie here. I will, I will say the following to you. (laughs) I was, when I say I was, let me rephrase. When I say I was offered six positions, I was offered three. I was contacted by six people. I presume if I'd wanted to, I could have turned all six of those into a, here's a job offer. Here's a contract. Here's what you we want you to do. Three of them actually got to a contract phase. This is the job we would like you to have. This is what we would like to pay you. This is the percentage of ownership that we're willing to give you, or this is how much we'll finance you to go out on your own. And I have made a choice that I will not reveal today. I will say- Oh, I got all excited I, there for a second. I will say that the only place- I reached out to the only place that I went, hi, I'm currently looking for my next position. Are you at all interested? Was Roto Grinders. That's, that's the wow. best compliment I can give you. The, the only place I solicited was because to say, you wanted to work with me, obviously. I, Dean, that's a non-zero truth statement. I, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, maybe you don't, but when I left Roto Grinders five years ago, one of the things I said publicly in my first, public statement afterward just makes it sound so much where you're talking about 100 people not 50 million people watching the president or something but one of the things i said was i really regret not working with dean more i don't know if you remember that but i remember saying like i wanted to do movies with you and music with you and wrestling with you and also so like i really enjoyed our rapport you're like you're like a low-key siege without the terrible takes 
It's like I just literally, I'm gonna put that in my profile. <laughs> Low key siege without the terrible taste. Putting that comment in the back of the DVD. <laughs> you quote me, Dash. <laughs> I really, I, I, I don't know I, what that means, but I think you mean well by it. I, I, I absolutely, do. I'm a big fan of of both of you. My, if I had a first issue with Siege, it would be that it seems like he's got a timer that's on a you know a ten day clock or something. It's like, oh, timer's up. Got to say something completely stupid and indefensible. And it's not like it's some horrible racial statement, but it's like I would trade the entire league for Jason Tatum. Fight me, and it's like, okay, I like Jason Tatum. He might be going a little far. Like that sort of thing happens. But he's only nineteen though. It's a good asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, he's, he's, he's he's twenty. Don't do that. Um. 21. I think he's 21 or 22 now. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, wait a minute. No Just the running joke of Jason Tatum. He's forever 19. Oh, okay. I got it now. I got it. Um, <laughs> Just derailing like, you. I, I like both you guys because you're generally, he gets a lot more abuse than you do, but his ability to handle it and uh, push it off and to still maintain basically being constructive, I'm in awe of. Like, I think people are great i went through a tweet list uh six months a year ago or something where i literally tried to tweet something nice about everyone in the industry i knew and i think you were on that list but i did a tweet chain of like 160 tweets um we celebrate what is amazing in all of us uh far what spawned that just sort of randomness or was it you remember what triggered that because that's an interesting uh... people were being assholes and again twitter shock shocking news people were being assholes on twitter but people were being assholes and i was just like yeah, I get, like, there's nothing, like, none of us are perfect, which is, like, some people can't stand me. And I'm generally like, I do not blame you. There are things about me I can not stand either. So we're in the same boat. Go listen to someone else. God bless. Have a good day. Like, I don't, I don't get into a thing where I'm like, you don't like me? Me? I'm amazing. Have you seen this hair? Like, I've said, there's no, there's not. So whenever people are, like, trashing each other, I'm, I'm usually first to be like, sure but look at all this great stuff so i just started being like that guy's awesome and then i thought i'd continue with for reference that guy's awesome and that guy's awesome and that guy's awesome and you're awesome everybody give yourselves a hug because it just it just turned into a day of where i was i was kind of saying there's a there's enough for everyone like again i was talking before about the manufactured conflict oh my god they're asking me to wear a mask for 12 minutes give give me liberty or give me death they're attacking my freedom it's like maybe chill i'm not saying that you don't get to take like i try to be on everybody's side and everything because i think i think i want us as a society to make informed decisions which involves considering all the information which involves not immediately assuming your side is 100 percent correct and the other side is 100 percent wrong and i try to push myself into that median headspace as often as i can so i will say to anyone who is protesting the COVID lockdown and trying to reopen. I feel you. The government saying to you, you stay in place, even though you have committed no crime, is a very significant thing. It is a significant thing, especially if you have a bit of a libertarian streak and you don't like, you know, the government controlling any part of your life. All of a sudden, the government saying, stay in your house. And you're like, I've committed no crime. And this thing is with some minor, you know, adjustments not that communicable and you're you're telling me by law or I'll be arrested to stay in my home that sets off my hackles I dig that so if that guy then goes to a store shopping and they say wear a mask and that guy's like what the hell I'm not going to be told what to do I, I 
feel you. I understand that impulse. I respect it. It's just not as important as the other issues. You can be right and I can justify and respect your feelings without making them larger in the over issue. Like I'll occasionally get in a, a fight with my wife. It's, it's rare. We get along pretty great, but she'll start yelling and screaming at me and I'll be like, okay, it's not that I think you're wrong. It's just that I think you don't need to yell and scream at me. Okay. I'm happy to hear anything you have to say. Let's just, let's just do it. Whatever. So that guy cannot want to wear a mask and he can go and complain. I don't think I should have to wear a mask or he can choose not to solicit that particular business and all that's great. And he can post on social media. It's crap. I'm not wearing a mask. And you do you, I respect you. Um, but verbally abusing other people who are just doing their job you've now missed the mark. I forget the famous quote, but um, you know, a fanatic or a zealot is when someone you know, retains their, their fervor but loses their aim. Like the, the guy's upset about something that is legitimate to him. So <clears throat> sort of the same thing in the DFS space. They so cross over much. sports too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it just Tribalism kind of... in general, just the thought process of tribalism and uh, yeah, not understanding so... nuance. And, or even if you watch like the first take, and I'm not saying I watched first take, but it's like, did this team win it or did that team blow it? Well, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. That's not an interesting conversation. Right, right. Well, the, the issue is we've long since discovered as a fact. <clears throat> Hold on. I got to hit this drink for real. I'm talking myself out. What are you drinking there? What are you drinking back on? Uh, this is a blank. A, a blang. I've blanged everybody. Uh, this is a bang blue raspberry. I got caught by my own alliteration there. Um not the sponsor of the podcast for the record is is it is it monster energy or something that would be i don't know <laughs> we don't I know didn't... our sponsor geez dean you're really ratcheting up your score as a host here i don't do a read i mean i think we're gonna do a read later on this week or something like that there's a tease with people because i'm sure they're excited about hearing a read of some sort but right now to my knowledge i'm not reading anything there's probably something playing in before the podcast is hit but all right yeah well whoever our sponsor is you are fantastic congratulations on all your success you smell terrific <laughs> um so you went to five different colleges uh why were you bouncing around so much is that because you were going through a lot of life stuff i was uh, so i was a terrible student i had a lot of um i was very good at standardized tests and i had a lot of scholarship money which i made sure to uh waste and never accrue a degree i do not have a college degree i was close but i left school finally um i, I went pretty early and i left school uh at the tender age of 19 to uh, open my own business. I was going to, at that point, RIT, the Rochester Institute of Technology, where I ended up because I was following a woman, which, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a, I'm a stomach snow. I was, I was horribly whipped. So anyhow, I, I ended up there. And I was, I was 19. What are you going to like? Uh, uh, yeah, Coach Steve. Um, so uh, I followed this woman to uh, upstate New York, Rochester. And there was there a legendary gaming store called Crazy Igor's. And Crazy Igor's, this is traditional games, by the way. This isn't video games. This is back when a gamer is a gamer. Like, if you haven't played a game with, you know, polyhedrons and cardboard cutouts, you're not a gamer. <laughs> I'm just saying, stop. stop. Your old man my... screaming at the clouds right now, man. Yeah, seriously, stop <laughs> taking my appellation and my title. Playing Gears of War does not make you a gamer. Set up the sensor, but fuck right off. If you haven't played a board game that takes 46 <laughs> hours to complete, you have no claim at the title. But this, we just lost our sponsor. I'm getting into my ear. We just I'm lost our sponsor. Konami and we're gone. No. Um, so, um, and I'm kidding by that, by the way. Games are games and they're all great. And I, I play largely digital games these days. Although there is like 50 square feet of wargaming terrain right in front of me here. But anyhow. Um, 
Wait, hold on. You you said you uh, were done with school at 19. When did you first go to college? Like at 15? Full-time matriculating or taking classes during the summer, which I did for several years. First college classes, I was 13. Full-time matriculation, barely 15, just before I turned 16. Wow, man. That's a... Dude, you're like Matt Damon from... uh... (laughs) I am anything but Matt Damon. This this is depression for me because I... Again, I try to be positive. I, I love my life. And I was dealing with a lot at the time. Uh, so I have two brief statements on this. One, don't do that to your children. Okay. If I'd have done it the normal way, it would have been easier for me. I would have had time to develop more as a social human being. And the entire experience would have been better for everyone all concerned. And I would have spent 18 years as a child and 60 years as an adult. But I got completely screwed up, packed everything together, destroyed what little athletic career I might have had, in which I was a pretty decent athlete and really came into my own in my in my college years, but I was younger by several years, which did not, you know, like when you're a 17 year old trying to compete with 19 year olds, that's a real physiological difference there. Um, it did nothing good for me, except buy me two or three more years, two more years of adulthood. As a, I was already young for my class, so it was two years. Um, but uh, you don't do that to your children. There's literally no, I, I do not understand. They're gonna have 50 years to be an adult. Why the hell make childhood that much more stressful for them? And again, I went actually insane. Like, I am living proof. That is not fun. Don't do that to a child. So point number one, don't push your kids, certainly year by year. I'm not saying don't try to get your kids to get straight A's. My kid has straight A's. God bless that child. Um, and that was one of, that's one of the, the points I wanted to get to. We were talking about, you know, the, 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 the my life and how good or difficult it's been. My... Yeah. Um, you know, my daughter was born and she had some real difficulties. She was, she was diagnosed as autistic. And then, um, you know, when she was three, she still wasn't talking. And she went through this incredibly severe bout of agoraphobia where she would not leave the house. Um, and it, it, it broke me. That was the last time, you know, a dozen years ago that, that as a person, I was in profound emotional crisis. I mean, I cried, I wailed, I screamed, I was angry, I lashed out at those close to me. I did, I did all the, and I say this again because all you can ever do is do better the best day. So however bad of a person you're being, I've done some terrible things in my life. Um, and I've made all the amends I can and apologize for all them and I try to do better the next day. And that's all I can do as a human being to, to, to try to be better. Um, but yeah, she was really not going well. And so I went to, you know, every church in town, I hit my knees, I saw every doctor. Um, uh, and again, I'm not guilty over the whole white privilege thing, but I am incredibly grateful and fortunate that I was available to get for my daughter all the resources she needed. Um, one of the hardest things for me to do is that I, I work sometimes with social services. I, I work at a homeless shelter. I work other places. I work at a food bank. And to see parents of children without the resources to care for those children, like I'm, I'm on the verge of tears here. It absolutely destroys me that in this country with our prosperity, we have people who have, like my daughter is the most brilliant, compassionate, wonderful, excellent, charming friendly, heartfelt person I have ever met in my life. She likes hugs and rainbows and video games and 
her boyfriend and all these other, she's this incredibly dynamic, wonderful person. And I almost never got to know her because she was trapped in this prison of her own mind. That's and, pretty wild. And yeah, it's, it's, it's as a parent, uh, anyone who has kids, you'll do anything for your children. And to watch her struggle so with, uh, you know, her own demons, her own just trying to be heard and trying to communicate and being unable to do so and unable to connect with other people. I'm, I'm just, it broke me and it would break me again. I can sit here and talk about how healthy I am and how well I'm doing now. If she, for some reason, I don't even like to think about it, regressed to that point. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. And, you know, so there were six, eight months there. She refuses to go outside. She just refuses to go outside um, to any of her favorite places. I can say, hey, I'll take you to Chuck E. Cheese, where she liked all the lights and stuff. Or, hey, I'll take you to McDonald's, which was her favorite food. Or, let's go play in the snow. And she had to, we had to start bringing her, her therapy into the house instead of going out of the house and getting it um, for months, for an entire winter, from like October to April. She would not leave our home. How did she break out of it? One day, I cried like a baby, Dean. One day, the sun comes out and she toddles out on the porch. And I walk out on the porch with her excited. She walks down and starts picking the grass, picking the flowers, fucking around in the mud. Just one day it broke. I have no idea why. No particular reason. This whole time we're cycling through medication. We're cycling through... Autism is a tricky diagnosis because it is not an individual pathogen. When you talk about autism, you're talking about a definition of symptoms. So for example, if you have COVID, COVID is a thing. You can cure COVID. COVID is one thing. The source is one thing. That's not what autism is. Autism is not, oh, I see some autism in the blood. It is not one particular pathogen or viral agent or anything like that. Autism is basically currently defined as a definition of symptoms. So you are autistic when, honestly, I believe the, the criteria has changed somewhat over the years, but you're autistic when you have a score of under 75 on three or more of four standardized tests that measure interaction, sociology, comprehension, and whatever. Like there's, this is how we define autism now. It's how you score on something. So you can be in a car accident and become autistic. You can be so when people are like, let's cure autism, that's not that's not really how that's going to work. My my whole point of this being is treatment is way the hell up in the air. There's no standard treatment. Like if you have it's case by case? Yes. And and no one agrees. It's not even case by case. It's not like the medical consensus is that if this happens, you do this or that. It's literally a guy wrote a book, maybe that'll help. And none of it is a hundred percent. So you have a guy who wrote a book and I did a study of 31 people and I had 57% positive outcomes and 29% marginally positive and 15% negative and 9% very negative. And then these, uh, there's this huge, so there's, you know, behavioral modification and then trying these different medicines. And so what I was saying before and where we started all this was working in social services and seeing parents without resources. I spent, no, I talked about, you know, the ability that five years before this, I could go out to California on a whim and spend thousands of dollars in a casino and whatever. All that money went into trying literally everything under the sun on my daughter. And if you, and again, more credit due to my wife than me, far more uh, of the many reasons uh, 
I'll be there for my wife every day of her life, no matter what she needs. Uh, her treatment of uh, my daughters, uh, I don't know between the two of them who was more impressive, but they're collectively uh, my heroes watching them. Uh, and anyway, the long, the long story short here is she went to, she had home tutors for a couple of years and then was behind for a bit and then went to special schools or schools for people with learning disabilities and you have one for one aids and tutors. And then in eighth grade, which was last year, she went to her first normal school with a little extra help. And this year she was a freshman in high school, ninth grade, no extra tutor, no extra help, straight A's. My little girl. That's pretty awesome, honey. It's a, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's daunting enough just having a teenage daughter in high school. No, don't even, don't even get me going there. <laughs> she's a, don't even get, I mean, she's, yes, but, but I, I, I yeah. will be surprised uh, if I ever have a bad day again. It's, it's literally the, uh, the rising of the Phoenix in my house every day. So, um, my cup runneth over. I am, uh, I am too, too blessed with, with every single thing in my life. So I love my life. I love my wife. I love my family. I'm, I'm, I'm. So again, I say that to you, if you are struggling right now, I spent the better part of 15 years absolutely destroyed in every way a person can be. And, uh, you know, this came from when I think we got to the sort of, cause you were talking about me being young. And at the time I was, a, uh, I got a perfect score on my SATs at 14. I got a perfect score on my math SAT when I was 12 and judged traditionally. I think I was supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to cure cancer or whatever. I was supposed to be that guy, or at least I was in the pipeline. And I'm not that rare. There are a lot of people who can, you know, do well on a standardized test. And again, I don't think that's much of a relevance of intelligence as it is of memory. You know, your your verbal SATs are a lot of, do you know what this word means? Well, if you looked it up and you remembered it, you do. And a lot of the math SATs are, do you remember how to do this math or this function? If you've learned it once, you can remember. Intelligence is the ability to understand advanced concepts without preparation. It's the ability to MacGyver a bucket, a used tampon and a coconut into a helicopter. Like those things are intelligence, you know, winning a board game. You want a good test of intelligence? Find a good board game. Not a crappy American board game, like a European board game. <laughs> I wanted to get your board game takes. I have some written down, but continue. No, we'll go there. But get together with several people who know nothing about it, open it, and see who figures it out first. That is intelligence. You have to see all the mechanisms going on and figure out how they combine. And nothing to do with memory. It's a pure test um, of intelligence. But anyhow, anyone who is like, oh, dear, you're so smart. Doesn't that make me a failure? If I had all these gifts... I was born into a, a family. I won all the coin flips. We said before, I started with all the advantages, right, Dean? And then I'm, I'm so smart, right, Dean? Yeah. And I, uh, I work in fantasy sports. You were supposed and to be Doogie Howser, man. What happened? I've, I've contributed very little to society. So if you yeah. talk to me about things that I'm guilty for, I suppose I bear some guilt for that. I think it is on each of us who have great benefits in our life to try to give as much back as we can. I could have given more. I still could. I'm not done yet. I, I think you're, you're doing well, uh, Eddie. And I got to say, uh, you know, it's interesting. Just, I, I always, I knew this and people know this. You don't really think about it every single day, but people you run into, so you might give you a hard time or somebody cuts you off in traffic or whatever. Like everybody's going through something or everybody's been through something. And you come off to me as the most like well-adjusted, most put together person 
and I had no idea about your history when it comes to all that. And it's just, uh, you just, you know, the point is like, you, you never know where people have been and you never, you know, you, and you can't tell by looking at somebody and just trying to, I know it's hard to understand that sometimes or think about no, that in the moment when. I could not agree with you. One of my favorite quotes, and this is great because you just set it up perfectly. One of my favorite quotes is by Robin Williams, who said, I believe I'm quoting this accurately. Everyone you meet is going through a battle you know nothing about. Be kind. It's really true. I don't know. And it's, it's funny you mentioned someone cutting you off in traffic. I use that as a classic example. I don't know if he's that guy is running home because his wife who has cancer isn't answering the phone. So that's why he's driving ape shit crazy. I don't know if he just got fired. I don't know if he's a great dude who happens to be having a bad day. So he was an asshole for five seconds. But getting angry at him just costs me. Yeah. It just costs me. I get, you know, 18 What's hours the upside? Of, of being awake. What's the right? Another great quote is everyone you meet, are, don't bother getting angry at anyone because the two most predominant likelihoods are they don't know or they don't care. Yeah. So someone on, you know, I had, I had an unfriendly Twitter um, interaction yesterday and you know, it bugged me for a little while and then, then I threw it off and, and blocked the guy. And congratulations, you're the fifth person I've, I've ever blocked on Twitter. I, I tend not to, um, I try to take my L's, which I think is, is really important. I think it's important to say you're wrong when you're wrong. I don't think you have the right to stand on being right if you can't, it's, it's the same, like if you are incredibly left-wing and you think Donald Trump is a complete and total idiot, I'm fine with that, but you need to be able to come up with five things you think he did right. And there are, sorry to tell you. And if you are a complete and total right-winger, you need to be able to come up with five things Trump did wrong or five things you think progressives are fighting for that are worthwhile. That the tribalism, Eddie. Tribalism. Yeah, I know. And, and it's, yeah. it's, it's insane. It destroys, it's worse. It is the absolute worst thing in our culture. The worst thing in our culture is not Donald Trump or Antifa or racism. Or, and it is the fact that half of this country well, this whole country, 90% of it, believes that those who differ with them ideologically or politically are bad, evil people. It's an absurdity. It's one of the most asinine, obviously disprovable, crazy things that people think. And it is endemic. It is everywhere that people somehow, um, and it absolutely drives me crazy. Look, when I when my daughter was going through this, one of the examples I think of is, I would fall to my knees in a house of worship with people who I barely knew and they would throw their arms around me and they would cry real honest tears for my suffering. And these are people who love their families and support their community. And to a man probably voted for Donald Trump, 90 plus percentage of them. And I repudiate in the strongest possible terms, any sort of ideology that states that they are evil people because of that vote. You want to say they made a mistake? No problem. They were hoodwinked or confused. I have no issue with that. But the character assassinations of these people as bad people, I don't understand how people convince themselves of that. How do you think that 100 million people are suddenly evil people because they disagree with you politically? And, and the answer is we've become so tribal that we don't have one reality anymore we argue about. We have two realities. If you're way over on the left and you're watching CNN every day, you are bombarded by a set of news that says the president is a racist, horrible moron who doesn't care about anyone but rich white men. And that's all you hear, which isn't to say some parts of that aren't correct. 
But should he do something correct, you don't hear anything about it. And again, most of my friends are left-wing. And if I had to pick a wing, I would be left-wing. But I try to plant my feet right in the middle. Um, and I frequently get into this argument. And I'm like, okay, name something good Donald Trump has done. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, okay. And then I list 20. And they agree with them all. And they're like, okay. And the thing is, they never hear about that. It's not, it's not so much that they dismiss it, that there's a cognitive dissonance. They never hear about it. And the same thing applies on the other side. If you watch Fox News every day and you're way on the right wing, you are led to believe that Donald Trump is holding the moral line against socialists who are trying to flood the country with immigrants and take, and it's just these two entirely separate realities where everything you hear every day, because your friends and your news and your Facebook and your Twitter are generally in your reality. Everything you hear all day says that your side is great and the other side hates America. And the only way people can justify this incredibly stupid state of mind is to convince themselves that everyone on the other side must be evil. Because otherwise, how could they stand for the running over of America by socialists or the dictatorship of Donald Trump and the caging of babies and the so, so to me, by far, because it's destroyed the narrative, intelligent people, informed people make intelligent decisions, and we're not anymore, because we've proven that more people listen, and you win more elections, and you get higher TV ratings by preaching to the choir than trying to change minds. But we've lost debate as a mechanism of persuasion. The idea is I talk to you and we disagree, but I listen to you and you listen to me. And at the end of the day, you at least understand each. Step one is understand each other, not necessarily agree. Step two is respect each other. Like, well, I now understand what he's saying. I understand from where his thoughts come. Now I respect him. And then three, maybe someone changes their mind a little bit. And none of that is there. We're starting from the point of my people are great. Your people are evil you're all Nazis or you're all socialists and you can't go anywhere. So, um, I, it's as a general rule of broad brushing is, is just going to be wrong. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, and you can find uh, outliers for everything. Right. Uh, and you're forced. Add, oh, go ahead. Well, and you're also forced to take, uh, dichotomous bicameral 50, 50 black and white issues of things that are great. You're forced into a box that isn't legitimate. I, believe I support the supporters. Uh, I support the protesters. I have been out protesting. I, I support the people who are doing that. I think the protest is important because I think, again, the conversation is important. Okay. I support the police. The police do an essential job. We need to have a police force. And most of them not going to get into percentages because this is, you know, 80 to 99%, depending on who you listen to, are fairly good people who are not beating people to death for no reason, who are not racist cops. And I have compassion for them. Okay. There are good people, sometimes black people, who took a job in the police force, who do a good job, who do not abuse their authority, and are in a very difficult position right now. I have compassion for those people. I can believe all those things. And it annoys me that society is telling me I have to go one way or I have to go the other way. I refuse. And that's the whole problem is you're telling me I just need to line up for this army on army fight. We have much more in common than we do that divides us. And I, I refuse to throw that away in, in the interest of tribalism. And Twitter and social media doesn't recognize nuance kindly. 
I got, I got that, that was the yeah. thing yesterday. Someone literally is cursing me out and calling me a hypocrite for saying that I believed the protesters had good reason to protest, but saying that the guy who was screaming at the Costco employee for asking him to wear a mask wasn't justified. He's like, oh, he's a hypocrite. Here's what he thought about personal freedoms the other day. And it's like, I'm sorry, man. Life just is not that simple. It's not remotely close to that simple. And there's plenty of things in which my answer is I don't know. Try not to kill each other, but I don't it's know. It's important to say I don't know. Why can't we say I don't know? We don't know everything. Because it's, it's fine to say I don't know. Appears, it appears weak. It's the same reason it took. And it's not, God, though. God bless that. Well, it looks that way to traditional American masculinity. It is, it is, it is, I will again draw on my personal life. It is difficult for me to turn to my wife after 17 years and say, you know, when you did that thing, it hurt me. That hurt my feelings. Let me explain why. I thought you were going to do this and you said that, and that really hurt me. I am inclined to yell or scream or slam a door or isolate myself or be non-violently hostile and just sort of turn the other whatever at her and you like it's it's um those are two like oh, i'm pissed so i'm gonna stand up for that it's sort of how we're raised i don't know how much of it is masculinity i'm not a therapist or, or psychologist or anything of that nature but i have to fight against that instinct and say and and make myself vulnerable and say when you said that it, it hurt me it hurt my feelings this is why and it's the same thing in, in society. We're meant to take a position or take a position that someone who says, yeah, this is complicated. I don't know. Is like, oh, that guy's a, a, a sheeple, right? You mentioned the sheeple thing either during the warm up or during this show. It's like, oh, that guy doesn't, that guy hasn't picked a side. He's a, he's a sheeple. He's going to follow people because he doesn't know. And it's, dude, sometimes I don't know. Or sometimes I'm ambivalent, which doesn't mean I'm necessarily don't know, but that there are powerful, um, I'm I'm very pro LGBTQ. LGBTQ. Gotta get the whole thing right these days. Come on there. Is that right? And at the same time, I have friends who are very good church going people, and they derive a lot of their inspiration for their life from the Bible and consider it the laws by which to live humanely, which is a tough spot for me because I think they're ninety-eight percent right. Bible is good shit. Thomas Jefferson wrote a book or a pamphlet called like the secular legacies of the Bible. I believe in turning the other cheek. I believe in a lot of the lessons that the Bible teaches. I don't believe in the largely allegorical references to homosexual behavior being incorrect, especially in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Leviticus is pretty straightforward about it. But uh, in the New Testament, uh, you have to really pick and choose and look pretty weirdly to take away, because the, the sort of the whole message of the whole New Testament is, Love each other, accept each other, even if you have sinned, love the sinner of nothing. Like that's sort of the whole message. And then to sort of distill through that and take two lines and go, see right there and said you're evil because you're gay. I think you're missing the point in the New Testament. But um, sorry to get into the Bible. That's, that's this is why you're so good at trivia, by the way. You can just quote these things. And like, this is where I'm just kind of hovering in the corner. And I'm like, if it's a religious question, I'm just yeah, like, uh, this, is why I'm a, this is why I'm a nightmare at dinner parties. But, but <laughs> yeah, long story short being when, when someone comes to me and goes, yeah, but the Bible says, you know, gay people shouldn't get married to each other. And to, and again, speaking as this person to me, that is a perversion. That That is literally something I'm taking the Bible, something that, that informs my every decision. Again, I'm, I'm, we'll say this is Todd. I'm seeing as Todd's point of view. Todd says, this is my goal for living my life. And it is how I treat people and raise my family. And it is my North Star by which I guide my ship through life. And it says, no gay marriage. Now you're saying, I have to do gay marriage. 
and that strikes me as incredibly whatever, my response is, I dig that. To me, that's not as important as allowing people to live their lives the way they need to and not denying people and recognizing the Bible is archaic. It's a couple thousand years old, so it only represents, I try to talk them out of it, but I can respect that. Like I can, you know, someone who is very anti-abortion, I believe in this because my God tells me this and I'm like, I respect that. It's not as important to me as, as having abortion available. And I, I am pro-choice for that reason. But assuming this person is not being a Nazi standing outside the clinic, throwing shit at people and being horrible, I can respect someone's mixed feelings or opposition to abortion. You have to be able to. And at the end of the day, if you don't, how do you expect them to respect you? And many people don't, is, is the reason why we're two tiers past any sort of meaningful debate, is the fact that they don't care anymore. If you're way on the left, you don't care if someone on the right respects your point of view, because you're not talking to them. You're just preaching to the choir. It's not about converting voters, it's about getting voters to come out. Just like, fuck it, there's 100 million people voting blue and 100 million people voting red, It's or who want to. It's just how many we can get to the polls. It's more efficient than trying to convince someone to come over on our side. So it's not even any more, like when I say one of the reasons I try to look at everyone's point of view is because I want them to respect mine, and I can't have that without respecting theirs. A lot of people have given up on trying to convince the opposition to give a shit about what they're saying or respect what they're saying because they don't. They don't need them. That's not their goal. If you're on CNN, why are you trying to appear as legitimate to, you know, a conservative voter from Mississippi? You're not getting that guy anyway. You're not trying to get that guy. He's not going to be watching you. You've set yourself in a, and, and vice versa. If you're on Fox News, why the hell are you trying to, you know, get respect by presenting objective news to, you know, a 21-year-old person living in San Francisco? You're not getting that vote anyway. So... Might as well just preach to your choir. It gets you higher ratings. It gets you to keep your job. So it's it's terrible. And we even see it in the politicians themselves. You see people on the right wing, for example, who used to say, you know, Donald Trump is unbalanced. He is unfit to be president. And those same people are now like, he's the greatest president ever. And it's like, that's a little transparently sycophantic. But I'll just mention one thing uh, before we get off our soapboxes. And people are going to be so angry at us, Eddie. And I know you're giving a very open... Listen, seriously, if you listen to this and go, Jesus, who the hell asked this guy to talk about abortion and politics? Nobody. These are my opinions. And if you have a different opinion, I encourage you, send me a tweet. I disagree with you, and this is why. I love that shit. Please don't send me... You're an effing this, that, and the other thing, and the whole nine yards of obscenities because that doesn't bad place to start. That doesn't help anybody. But if you think what I said is insane, tell me why. I'm happy to discuss it, and I will take my L's. I just took a giant L a couple days ago with. I had a long debate with someone when um, Georgia opened back up, and Georgia opened back up for businesses earlier than any other state. And I went, look, I believe places need to reopen, and I'm not going to get into this because I could talk about this for a half hour, and I have soapboxed way the hell too much. But Give me the cliff notes. (laughs) There are places that should reopen. If anyone had a position of nowhere should reopen, they're wrong. If anyone had a position of everywhere should reopen, they're wrong. It's a complicated question. I need a haircut, though, Eddie. A lot of, did you? I didn't. Look at I this. I didn't get one. No, I'm just, go ahead. I cut you off. Look at this. Look at this. Look, I'm, I'm wearing a hat. That's why I'm wearing a hat, because my hair is look ridiculous. At, look at Look at this though. I don't know. You, you look know. at your me. You look at your Mia Twenty picture, which I saw on Twitter. Oh yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a me, I'm a troll at this point. Like I'm a troll doll. Like this, I can almost put this into a ponytail. But um, <laughs> the uh, I derailed you off your uh off your rant. Which rant was on? 
COVID in Georgia. <laughs> you even remember? Right. So I came out and said, this is a horrible idea. Georgia had, to that point, had very unreliable results. And there were multiple places, left, right, and center, reporting that their reporting had been dreadful. And the most important thing, making the decision to reopen or not, is the availability of good data. And they had very, very little good data. So I was like, this is the wrong place to be reopening first. You want a place with a lower COVID density, they were about middle of the road, and a place with lots of data. So I think this is terrible, and they may just give themselves a horrible second spike and gain nothing by reopening early because they have to reshut down in a month. And they reopened, and very little happened. They had a slightly higher count in cases, but not much. And it ended up being the right thing to do. And so I'd been arguing with a guy who disagreed with me, and... Two days ago after a month, he sent me a message saying, see, and I responded, they were absolutely right. I was absolutely wrong. It did tie us to DFS. Talk, I, I enjoy that we've talked for over an hour now. We've not talked DFS or basketball at all. And that's just, I'm here all day, baby. I think I have, a meeting. Gonna... I have a meeting in 50 minutes, but it's a lot <laughs> longer. I don't know how Devin, our producer, is going to be like cutting us off at some point and giving us the, uh, the hook. It uh, but... won't be the first time I've gotten the hook. <laughs> So, so uh, I was just thinking, like, it's, I don't even know. I, again, again, I'm conceding. I don't know. Is that small sample size? Is are we just playing results there as far as the the Georgia thing? Or it, well, it, it I, I would, sense? yeah. Well, like, so, thinking, you want well, my I fair opinion. I would never be able to say it was a good decision because mm-hmm. we didn't have enough data. Meaning the outcome was a variance. What was like? There was a lot of variance in the outcome. So you were opening yourself up to a truly horrific outcome. Now. In confessing the weaknesses of my own position, I do not and did not have a good handle on the exact costs of staying shut down. Shutting down is, like I said before, someone who doesn't want to wear a mask or the government is telling you stay in place and someone who considers that a really significant thing. Shutting down the country is an incredibly significant goddamn thing. Shutting down the economy has real short-term and long-term costs. There's actually a whole field of actuarial sciences which will convert for you the price of shutting down the economy into human lives. Okay, so people were like, the position we have to stay shut down until no one will die of COVID is inane. Shutting down the government kills people, short and long term. The lower the economy goes, the higher unemployment raises, people die. (laughs) Okay, so there is, and you must concede, a balance point between how serious COVID is in an area and whether or not you open down or not. So open up or not. So to me, um, where I think my position was uninformed was I did not, and again, I'm not an expert at this, I don't have 24 hours a day to look at, at sociology and economic models of Georgia, fully aware of the cost of staying shut down in Georgia. How many people were moved from a state of, you know, being near the poverty line to in outright poverty? How many people were going to lose their house? Were the banks under pressure and arrest because of withdrawals? There's a lot of things that would indicate how serious the pressure was to reopen. And I can't accurately qualify or quantify that data. So in that way, my opinion was specious, was was not fully informed. Again, I, I still think the context of my opinion being that Georgia is a shitty place to start this guess because there have literally been multiple articles about how um, Georgia hadn't been reporting deaths If you died before a COVID test, you would never be counted as COVID positive in the Georgia numbers for the longest time. So if you were a 70-year-old man who reported to the hospital with a high fever and a severe cough and died on the table before you got your COVID test, you were 
automatically a negative COVID. So there were a lot of reasons to think their numbers may have been higher than we thought. And also just a smaller segment of their population had been tested. And there were other issues where their data looked specious. So long story short, when you say, you know, what's your takeaway? I still feel like my opinion was, it is hard for me to say they made the right decision because I don't know if it worked out because they were right or because they got lucky. It still strikes me as making the decision they made at the time they made it um, was was not a decision I would have made or could have made. But again, more, more data as to the, the cost of staying shut down might have changed my mind. All that being said, that's semantics. In actuality, they opened up, and I would agree that them opening up was better for them as a state than if they had stayed closed. So in the most important way to look at it, yeah, they were right and I was wrong. And and that's going to happen. And I will, I will try to own my L's whenever they are due. And, and that's one of them. So give me. There's a couple more hard hitting uh, topics I want to get to before we uh, get out of here. Really? Board games uh, is one. Uh, see, I thought you were actually going <laughs> to. So oh, no. we, we talked about like, like protesting and all this crap in the green room. Gene's like, I don't want to. I'm pulling that. back. I don't want to. I don't want to. And then, so he said, "Now there's more hard hitting." I'm like, "Really? <laughs> We're going into my time and in a." In, well, you in, own you own a gaming store, and yeah. I know you're. I, I feel like you design board games. I'm pretty certain you design board games. So I did. And you must have games. some passion. It takes if I if I throw some. You threw some shade as like a general. You threw you made a generalization. You made a broad brush, and you said American board games suck. That's what I heard more or less. Is that yeah, and that's that's. Well, it's all right. That'd be sort of like. <laughs> Now, first of all, I want to say that the the dangers of using a broad brush to describe cars from America or board games from America, the dangers are not the same as when we describe, yes. you know, all cops are all black people. So I do want to state that while a broad brush is still a, a blunt tool, uh, I, I feel I feel less reluctant, less reticent about using one in this context. But Monopoly's angry with you, though. <laughs> Monopoly is balls. Monopoly is and Monopoly's existence is an affront to mine. I, I am ready to. <laughs> it's a dumb game, play. right? It is a okay. I this is like my two-hour TED talk, which I'm going <laughs> to boil down into ninety seconds for you somehow. <laughs> there are many good things about games. There are brilliant games, video games, board games, dice games, card games, athletic games. This applies to um, you know sports are a section of games. And by the way, you can come fight me on this, but esports are not sports, they are games. And I say this as one of the world's biggest game fans in the world. I have played more games than almost anyone else in my age in the universe that you could find. I love games, okay? League of Legends is a game, it is not a sport. Fight me. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know where you think changes something from a game to a sport, but it does not qualify. Other than you know, Tetris, is that, a, is that a sport now because I press a button? Is Monopoly the board game? Uh, a game, but when I get the version that has me press the button for the rent thing, did that make it an eSport? So I understand calling it eSports. I'm fine calling it eSports. It, it makes it niche into other projects, but I'm fine with that. But if you actually think, you know, League of Legends is a sport, uh, catch me outside sometime. Anyway. Um, moment. Yeah, there it is. How about that? Um, <laughs> but um, so there's a lot of things that make games great. Monopoly has basically none of them, okay? Good games are short, not long. In general, you want if you can design a game that has the exact same depth, elegance, teaching, and all that stuff, you want that game to take 20 or 30 minutes, not five hours. Monopoly, played by its standard rules, is an arduous game. It is a slog, okay? Uh, good games, 
are competitive for the entire game and don't involve snowballing, which is a, something we refer to in game design. It's not snowballing as in clerks. It's snowballing as in once someone gets ahead, the snowball grows and grows and you stay ahead. It doesn't have good catch-up mechanics, okay? So in Monopoly, if you run around and you get a couple early Monopolies and no one else gets any, you win. So it has a huge snowballing problem and whoever's ahead is going to win. It has another problem in that that death is long and drawn out. It is not quick. So you can be dead four minutes into the game and it takes you three hours and 30 minutes to die. <laughs> that also is not good. Good games tend to be reliant on your degree of skill or luck as to how well you win. And frequently in Monopoly, you can lose through no fault of your own. The best title for Monopoly should be Find and Abuse the Moron. Because the easiest way to win Monopoly is to find the dumbest person at the table, abuse them into a trade which helps you more than them, and then win the game. And frequently that's player A and B and your player C, and you just lose because You're that bystander. guy abused that guy and you were just sitting there, but the idiot got abused. But guess what? You get to wait two hours to lose, even though you did it. Like, it's just, there's almost nothing good about it. I will give you, it can teach children the concepts of rent. It can teach children some rudimentary arithmetic and how to handle paper money. It can, uh, it's, it's just a dreadful, dreadful, terrible goddamn game. Give me, give me the best game that I've never heard of that I should be playing. Um... I would go with Carcassonne. Carcassonne is a uh, German board game. I want to say it's Klaus von der Reed was the designer. Uh, it is sort sure. of the next step from, you're like, yes, obviously, I know. <laughs> Sounds um, German. The, the, it is the next step from Settlers of Catan. So a lot of people will say Settlers of Catan, and Settlers of Catan, as opposed to Monopoly, is a very good game. Okay. It is not a great game, but it is a great entry-level drug to good games. It is the marijuana of good games. If you want a sublime game high, uh, you know, Settlers of Catan is, is a very good game. I have no issue with playing Settlers of Catan. Once you've played a lot of Settlers, there are other games you can move to. The, the game that has the best to me combination of elegance, time it costs, depth of strategy. You, you want a game to be chess is a good example now chess is not a great game because and oh. this is this is a great concept and this actually we're going to talk about dfs dean are you ready we're an hour and 40 <laughs> minutes and this applies to dfs what i'm about to say chess is too skill based to be a good game the better player almost always wins i gotcha you need some degree of variance to make a game compelling if DFS was like that and the better player won 99% of the time, DFS would fail and no one would play it because randos can't win. And even average players can't win. And there's no chance, like, so chess is a brilliant game in a lot of ways, but it's failing in that there is not enough luck, as in basically zero. There is luck in chess, but it's literally who goes first and against whom are you seated in a bracket. And that's basically it. So it's almost entirely skill-based, and for that reason, struggles to get a large foothold in things. What um, about Stratego? Is that a good game? Better than, um, better. I mean, much better. It'd be under Settlers, but it's 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 a very tolerable game. There's it involves some strategy. Oh, this isn't there, so it can be there. Like there's some intuition. Um, 
So yeah, Stratego is, is fine if you're gonna play an American game, play play some Stratego. That's fine. Play some Parcheesi. You can go with Parcheesi in your life. That's better. They're still not good, but um, Carcassonne <laughs> is this game where you're placing tiles and building a castle, and then you're choosing whether to place your workers and a role is defending the castle or out farming in the field or whatever. And the rules are still fairly simple, and there is a huge, huge depth of gameplay. And it curves very nicely, and it's good with two or three or four players. And so probably the highest taking, it's not my favorite game anymore. I like some of the more advanced ones, but uh, taking everything together as far as what I think the best board game I've ever played is, uh, that'd be Carcassonne, which is C-A-R-C-A-S-O-N-N-E. It's named after a fortified city in France, I think is where the name comes from. But um, huge recommendation. I think it's still in the 20 to $30 range. Uh, might take you a game or two to, to get it in, but my, my strongest refuge. Um, uh, my strongest love. You own this uh, this gaming store, and I believe uh, we we've talked about this off air, but years ago, and I might have the story all fuzzy now. But didn't, uh, or maybe you sponsored it with your with your hobby store? Uh, is hobby store an insulting term? I don't remember the name of the store. No, I'm with it. Um, but somehow it intertwined with you taking a bump from Ted DiBiase. Is that correct? Oh my God, this is great. So this footage is on Twitter, and I'll see if I can find it. So. I'll give you the two best games. So I owned a store still there in Rochester, New York called Millennium Games and Hobbies uh, from March of 98 to February of 2010. I owned the store for 12 years. And it, again, it is for the operation of this store that I left my collegiate pursuits uh, way back when. And um, so uh, the one thing was we, among other things, hosted all the pay-per-views. We had a 70-inch TV or something in there. We hosted back when there wasn't a WWE network and it cost you just 40 bucks a month or whatever, all the WWE pay-per-views. And we set up the TV and put in chairs around and we charged $5 for a lock-in and we had pizza and whatever. And we had a dozen people show up and we charged and we watched all the WWE pay-per-views. And eventually most of our local wrestlers started uh, showing up. Uh, NWA Upstate, which was our local wrestling fed, which was you know, 30 wrestlers and had maybe 400, 500 people at a good show um, started to show up. And I like wrestling. I got introduced to wrestling. I watched it a little when I was, when I was young, like, you know, Hogan warrior stuff. And then I fell out of it for about 15 years. And then 2002, 2003, I started working on a card game called WWE raw deal, which was a fascinatingly wonderful card game with an, with an active sideboard and ended up being a much better than you would have thought a wrestling card game was wizards of the coast who made magic and other things at the time unfortunately got the wcw license that was not the license to have the wwe license turned into a a brilliant card game and i was working on that game and that reintroduced me to wrestling in really the the highlighting of wrestling so i got to go to two wrestlemanias i've been to a dozen live events i've met most of the guys um backstage and so i got you know reasonably um into wrestling and I got in the ring once in a while and took a couple bumps but anyhow the guy who ran the outfit which was a guy named Hellcat was sure, of course it was I said that was that was the guy who wrestled this Hellcat do some googling I imagine you'll find it NWA Upstate <laughs> Hellcat you'll find him he's smaller than me but anyway Hellcat uh, <laughs> and we were talking about booking the next show someday and he's like yeah I'm gonna try to bring in Brody Lee and I'm gonna try and it was great because you saw these guys on the indies who eventually turned into Daniel Bryan AJ Styles, like these guys were hireable to come to your small town and put on a show in your gymnasium. Um, and he said, I really want to get Ted DiBiase, but he's too expensive. And I went, oh, uh, how expensive is he? And he went, I believe, $5,000 is what it cost 
uh, but he bought his own travels. It was $5,000 to get Tibiasi. He was living in the South somewhere. And at this point, I believe was an ordained minister. I think he was preaching at this point. To fly up and do, and he, was, he wouldn't wrestle. At this point, Ted DiBiase is, this is 2005, give or take. So I'll guess Ted DiBiase is 55 years old or something. No, not that old. He'd be, he'd be late 40s, early 50s. Uh, but he, again, stopped wrestling for a while, and he'd gained a lot of weight once he got into managing and stuff. So um, they're like, okay, you know, and I'm like, well, I'll make you a deal. If I can do an angle with him, I'll pay for it. And he's like, okay. Like, cause I'm, you know, he's like, I'm sure he wasn't excited to have me do an angle, but he's like, oh fuck, how bad can this guy do the angle? And I mean, I get, you could be in the show. People don't know. Like you yeah, and I get, and I get Ted DiBiase at the show and this idiot's going to pay for it. This is great. And, and he's absolutely correct. It was an idiotic thing to me to do. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Accepting the exceptional funds spent for the care of my daughter. This is the best money I've ever spent. <laughs> Do apologies to those two girls in New Orleans. <laughs> this money with Ted was the best money I've ever spent on anything in my life. So, so we get a hold of Big Ted, and he's coming. And we, so we plan this out. I'm sitting down with Hellcat. I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. And we're going to come out. And I'm going to be, the plan is I'm going to be the heel. I assume you know what that means. Sure. Oh, no, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to be the face. Excuse oh, me. You're the good guy. The plan is I'm going to be the face, and Ted's going to be the heel. And so I am going to dress up again on a dress shirt or something. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to grab the stick. Uh, that's what we call the microphone in the business. And I'm going to start talking to the crowd and be like, ladies and gentlemen, I am one of the sponsors. And I was one of the sponsors. When they had the wrestling shows, my store, Millennium Games and Hobbies, had a banner on the side of the ring. I paid to be a sponsor. And so I was going to go out there and I was going to cut a promo saying, um, because I love you all so much, I have brought Ted DiBiase to town, gaze upon my magnificence and, and paint myself as the face. Yeah. And Ted was going to be the heel and he was going to come out and he was going to embarrass me. And eventually he was going to um, put me in the million dollar dream and take me out. And I'm like, great. I'm excited <laughs> about this. But like, I wanted a table bump because I've taken many table bumps in my life. My oh. back is permanently screwed from taking. Okay. So OSW one night stand 2005, um, excuse me, ECW one night stand 2005. Shout out to my boys OSW who put on a great show. That's an internet review podcast. Who's reviewed it. ECW, those are those Irish guys, right? Oh, they're so good. ECW One Night Stand 2005. We get done watching the show, which is arguably the best wrestling show ever. And I am in my store and we're watching the TVs. And so I have like 14 foot ceiling. So I'm like, I know what I'll do. I will climb up to the top <laughs> of this 12 foot ladder and dive through some tables. And the tables, anyone will tell you, are not the problem. The lightly carpeted concrete floor is the problem. So I go through many tables like butter and break some ribs and stuff. So that was that was not. But we're. I have some great pictures. I'll see if I can find them and 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 you can distribute them somehow if you want. Which is me three Ding people through a table that night. So anyway, did you not I, abide by the? Didn't they say don't try this at home? You didn't abide. I try. I, it wasn't home. I was in my store. I figured we were all good. <laughs> I followed the letter of the law. So anyway, I did a boom and I took it. Semantics. Yeah, semantics. So, um, <laughs> anyhow, um, so anyhow, Ted gets there and he goes, you know, I've thought about it and I'm not comfortable putting you in the million dollar dream. And I'm like, big, big sad face. Like, but, but I want the million dollar dream. And he's like, no, what I'll do is I'll do this for you. I'll give you just a good shove. So you say whatever. And when the crowd's right, I'm going to put my hand on your face and just throw you backwards. And I'm like, Okay, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Like, yeah. spend five grand. I feel like I'm getting ripped here, but I don't say anything. <laughs> I'm like, All right, that's where we're go. So we get in there, 
and we start to go with this plan. And immediately, and I am upset with Ted not realizing this, because this plan does not work, because no one knows who I am. So I immediately become heel guy. Plus, I'm announcing myself as like a sponsor and an authority figure. Wrestling fans don't like that shit. So I go up there trying to be the face so Teddy can come out and heal. And it fails immediately. I get out there and it's like, hey, everyone, I'm Eddie. And I went in there like, boo, who are you? And it's just not working. And I'm like, where's Virgil? And I said, where's, seriously, meat sauce. Shout out to Virgil. Um, and so the crowd is not not accepting what I am putting down. And so I'm like, oh, man. And so I, I, I totally wimp out on it. And I start breaking my voice on purpose and going, guys, I love you. Why don't you like me? And I'm doing it right. So now Ted's music hit. And we don't pay the royalties. But we play Ted's proper music. Money, 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 money. <laughs> Ted, age 50, whatever. Big pot belly. Big guy, by the way. Looks me eye to eye. He's 6'4", 6'5". He's, 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 a, he's a tall dude. He's much heavier than big dude. Does he still have the million-dollar belt? Uh, he did not have the belt. I okay. don't know if he still possesses a million-dollar belt. But um, So he comes out, <laughs> doing his thing, comes down there. Uh, eventually does the volleyball, the basketball bouncing gimmick. Have you seen that one where he goes, I've got $100. Yeah, I'll give you $100. You, yeah. you can bounce this ball 10 times, and after nine, he kicks it away. You don't get the money. <laughs> so he immediately, to his credit as a senior worker and goat of the wrestling industry, um, realizes the flip. And goes face. And so the crowd goes nuts for <laughs> Big Ted. And I immediately go complete wussbag going like, oh, man, you were my favorite. I had my poster of you on the wall, even over the bed. And I would, and like, I do this for five minutes. Shut up, you weasel or whatever. He puts his hand on my face, <laughs> throws me on my back. I sell it. Legs go up. I hit the floor. <laughs> I laughs. Music plays. And then one of the greatest moments of my life, honey, I enjoyed getting married to you. But maybe <laughs> higher on that list would be later, I've got to go. I've got to get back to work. And I'm walking out. And Ted, who does this not only for the money he gets paid up front, but to sign autographs and sell DVDs and stuff, has a line of 50 people. So I walk behind him and I go, Ted, real pleasure working with you. And Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, turns to me and goes, hey, man, great bump. I mean, come on. I mean, gee, I I had an erection for a year and a half. Hey, man, and a bump. Great Tell bump. people what a bump is. Oh, sorry, a bump is is selling a, a move. The, the great wrestlers, your Shawn Michaels, your your Teddy Biabis, your Rick Rude taking atomic drops, are guys who sell moves, making your other guy look really good. And Ted DiBiase, you know, a fifty or whatever year old man, put his hands uh, on my face, a strong and virile thirty year old. Although, if you look at the video which i will try to find and provide you'll see i look like a skinny and emaciated 30 year old and give me a little push and i sort of went flying so that's that's what a, a bump is when someone you know does something to you and you sell it and make it look legitimate but ted dibiase said to me hey man great bump oh god five thousand dollars was so cheap into my veins into um, my veins just directly yeah. into my veins <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the ravishing recruiter because I don't follow this account, but there is somebody that I follow that always retweets. There's oh, a Twitter yeah. account dedicated just to ravishing recruit taking uh, the atomic atomic drop. drops. Yeah, ravishing recruit, <laughs> who is a, a beast by the way, had this. I'm tempted to stand up for the video fans and do an impression. I'm gonna avoid it. Oh but no, <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. But how do? You, well, they also change a little bit. Nor, all right, I got to do it now. So normally. <laughs> 
So normally the, the Rick Rude uh, talking about this, he gets hit and the ass goes out like a duck. So you get this and he just sort of goes and like duck walks after he gets the atomic drop. But there's the special ones where he like robot walks like this for a few seconds. And Rick Rude took a bump from an atomic drop like no other human being ever. It's hilarious. And all this guy did was video compile thousands of them and every day tweeted out Rick Rude taking a bump from an atomic drop and they're, they're, they are stellar. Eddie, I much appreciate your time. I want to get you out on an easy one. I think it'll be a quick answer, but you never really know. <laughs> oh, you don't know? Apparently, Dean, it's been too long. You don't know me that well. Here you go. You're going to ask me what my favorite color is, and 27 <laughs> minutes later, you'll be waiting to talk. I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about your acting. I want to talk about your singing. Oh, uh, lots of things I wanted to get into, but of course, I mean, Captain, anybody that's stuck around us long, much appreciate you guys listening here. Uh, thank you to Devin for producing, but... Uh, this is what I want to know because oh, I think actually your pin tweet, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> is you singing in Mexico. True. Uh, but this is what I want to know. Uh, your go-to, and this is probably going to be a tough answer, go-to karaoke song. You want to see my phone list? <laughs> I know. I knew you had an answer. At least you want to see my video? See, like, again, I could spend a half hour. Let me move <laughs> away from my script notes. And there, I'm actually reviewing a script tonight. Someone sent me for possibly something. Here oh, nice. is... Here is um, I will just give you some of the highlights, but you know, just you're wondering, like, here's my my, are these songs of and it, it's it's you know it's, it's are these songs available at my karaoke station? So I don't I don't mess around with my karaoke. Um, Judith, I'm a big fan of Judith. Uh, if they can get it, that's an imperfect circle song, which you probably know if you've heard it. Holy Diver by Dio, I'm a I'm a massive massive fan. Um, one by you two, which which again is the the one immortalized on my Twitter, which I should now delete. Yes, Possum Kingdom is a good one. Tony's. Yeah, yeah. Possum Kingdom is is uh, an excellent my first song. concert, and it's about perving out your first concert. That's excellent. Well, either it's either that or Woodstock. I don't remember which one came first. To be honest, uh, a disturbed version of Land of Confusion. Jack's Lament from uh, from uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Sure. <laughs> you, I, think you you with I don't, yeah, that's not my real yeah, ass. Lament is, there are few who deny it. What I do, I am the best, for my powers are in known far and wide. When it comes to surprises in the moonlit night, I excel without ever even trying. Are you, is you serenading me here? What, what's happening? Yeah, is that the actual? The slightest little effort of my ghost-like charms, I have seen grown men give out a shriek. With a wave of my hand and a well-placed mode, I have swept the very bravest off their feet. I'll do Is the there another bar? Thing. I love that song. <laughs> well, there's this great part where he's like, no animal nor man can scream as I can. Which is like, it's, just, it's a vocal showcase. That's all I'm saying. I'll let you do your thing. Um, and then I have the, if there is someone else in the crowd. Oh, duets. I have a duets list where I like to do no excuses. Um, Heart Shaped Box and Losing My Religion have really cool subtle harmonies that the songs sound great when you get into them. Mana, Constant Sorrow, a lot of fun if you can get someone who knows any of the four parts to that. Space Oddity. Uh, so there's, there's um, those are just, you know, some who wants to live forever if I'm feeling good. Any Tenacious D, um, Master Exploder is my real finish them up type of... Uh, <laughs> Boom. There's some of my karaoke stylings. You can see me this Tuesday at Clyde's. In <laughs> Tip your waitresses uh, kindly. Ah, uh, what the hell? Knock them right over. 
Eddie, uh, this is a blast. Uh, I hope uh, I hope people stuck with this. So there's, we're all over the place. We, 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 <laughs> I hope. I doubt. But maybe. I was here the whole time. Deb was here the whole time, as far as we know. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Where, where Anything else you want to say, feel free to say it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, it's amazing we didn't talk about basketball. I don't like you to talk about basketball. We just we hinted at talked it. talked about it for five seconds where it's, it's – uh, it, re- it requires some, li- some, some <laughs> luck. That was our talk about basketball. I'll do it again. Have me back uh, next week unless I've been uh, banned like Howard <laughs> or something, which I couldn't blame you. <laughs> I'll have to talk to Stevie and see what he says. Uh, where, where can the people find you? Uh, you know, all the good stuff. Give, give the for now, you there. can find me on Twitter at Fast Eddie Fear, where I will have some announcements shortly about other things. And uh, before I forget to say it, be excellent to each other. Thanks. Was that Bill or was that Ted? That was, I have always thought of myself more as a, as a Bill S. Preston, but, um, <laughs> you know, you, uh, we're, we're all both of them. Theater Logan, is that the other one? I, I I have not actually seen the film in some 20 years, so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm a little although the sequel is coming this year, by the way, and there is no more appropriate time. They have filmed it. It is in the can. But the building side three is en route. It's unfortunate there's no George Carlin. It is incredibly unfortunate there's no George Carlin. Not many things got worse when you added George. Brilliant guy. Eddie, uh, I appreciate you opening up. I appreciate you for your time. And uh, you know, uh well, I'll probably talk to you later tonight. I, I imagine we're going to play some trivia, I think, depending That's on That's right. Schedules. You and I, tonight, at, at like <laughs> 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. my time. West Coast game. <laughs> Thank you to Devin for producing. Thank you for Stevie for loading his podcast. Uh, I've been Dean. Thank you to the audience for listening. We're out of here. Holler!